Thank you for pressing play on episode 139 of A-Sides. I'm Andy, and for this episode, I spoke with Patrick Kennison from the band Heaven Below. Now, sometimes I feel like I spend too much time on social media, but I guess when I'm doing a podcast, it gives me a lot of material. I saw that Patrick had made a post about his favorite live albums, or actually he made several posts as he listed his favorites from the 70s, 80s, 90s, and the 2000s. So as soon as I saw those posts, I was like, yes, this is an excuse to get Patrick back on A-Sides. Not only did we talk about his favorite live albums, we also talked about the Power Trip Music Festival he attended, and I had a few other things that I wanted to ask him about too that had popped up since the last time we talked. Thanks for listening, and also thanks to Patrick for being a guest once again. Hopefully you enjoy episode 139 of A-Sides. Look, it's rock and roll! And... Cue music. tomorrow it's a biker cruise that lita ford's playing on and my wife nikki is off from the maiden so i'm taking her along and we're going to kind of make a vacation out of it and then the last day of the cruise is our one year wedding anniversary when i asked you about this you said you were going on a cruise and i kind of thought it might have been for your anniversary but then i saw your post about the pics so then that's how i knew it was a show yeah it's a show it's a weird i've done a bunch of cruises this one's weird it's a biker cruise at sea. That's strange. We'll see what, what that's like. Yeah. And it's Lita Ford and like two other bands or something. So I don't know what to expect. <laughs> are you going to play like a couple different shows or you just got one set? It's even weirder. We play two shows. We're there for like six nights on the boat and we play two shows and they're on the same day back to back. One shows for half the boat and the second shows for the other half of the boat. Oh, hmm. weird. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know what to expect. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Had you ever done those before? Like the, um, what is it? Shiprocked or Monsters? Yeah, this this might be like my fourth or fifth cruise. I can't remember. Oh, damn. They're fun. They're like mini vacations, so no complaints. Oh, well, I had a few other things, like small things I was going to ask you about before the um, live album topic. Let's do it. How was the Power Trip Festival that you went to? It was awesome, dude. It was it was crazy. Uh we, we drove like two hours away from our house to get there. Luckily, the fine people at Judas Priest hooked us up. So we got to park like behind the stage and go through the VIP thing. The crowd, I think it might have been one of the biggest concerts I've attended because I saw the aerial shot and it was so many people. But what was crazy, you're used to these festivals where all these bands play all day and then the headliners come on. This wasn't that. 
you you get there and the first day iron maiden comes on at 6 45 it's the sun's <laughs> getting ready to go down and then guns and roses came on and played for three hours till almost one in the morning oh damn that was the first the first night and then the second night judas priest comes on almost little before 7 p.m. And then ACDC came on and played for a couple hours. And then the last night it was Tool and then Metallica came on. The good thing about it not having all those opening bands is it didn't burn you out as much. The grounds where they held it were pretty fancy uh, compared to other festivals I've played or been in where it's just a big field. This is all sectioned off with like the expensive ticket people go here, the cheap people ticket go back there. <laughs> the merch lines were so long, I couldn't believe it. But we finally got our merch that we prepaid and that was cool. Stuff was expensive. Drinks and food were a little pricey, but they were a little on the nicer side compared to hot dogs and and that kind of stuff. So it was cool. And the sound was, was really good. There was some surprises. Yeah. A few surprises like G and R playing for three hours. Who, what the hell? <laughs> yeah. Where do we go? announcing their new album did you get goosebumps yeah that was really cool i wish they would have played something off the new album but priest never plays their stuff ahead of time like other bands i was really excited about that the priest set was really good because glenn tipton came out at the end and played the last three songs the set for priest was 90 minutes i wish they would have played two hours like maiden did the night before <laughs> i wish they'd have put priest and maiden on the same night but whatever <laughs> The preset was very greatest hits. There was a couple semi-deep cuts, but it was still badass. It was still really good. Or wait, wasn't it Priest was like uh, filling in for Ozzy, right? Or um, yeah. what band was that? If it had been Ozzy, we wouldn't have been able to to get the hookup to go. Yeah. But yeah, filled in for Ozzy. And so that's when I was like, holy shit, let me ask if they uh, can hook us up. And they did. Oh, awesome. Yeah, man, it worked out for you. Yeah, it was awesome. We had a great time. And it was one of those shows where... You know, when ACDC played, somebody next to me said they haven't played live in seven years. And I started thinking, man, like some of these bands, we're not going to see them. It's like Van Halen or or, you know, these things that like might go away at some point. Another thing that wasn't like live music related, but after the last time we talked, like back at the start of the year, I was going through some songs that I liked and I noticed you actually played on a Rob Zombie song. That's one of my favorite Rob Zombie songs from the past, present and future. How did that opportunity uh, come up for you? It was like 2002, I want to say. Union Underground was recording our ill-fated second album that never that never was completed. And the producer for that Union Underground album was Scott Humphrey that does all the zombie stuff, yeah. Tommy, a bunch of cool stuff. I just got along really well with him during the Union Underground sessions. 
he just said, hey, do you want to play on the I, I got to record some stuff for zombie again. Do you want to come play on it? And I was like, uh, motherfucking hell. Yeah. And so uh, he says he says he doesn't have a guitar player right now. So I can I can see you probably getting in the band. It's possible. No promises. I can see that happening. And so I went and played on the song and zombie was there and we got along great. And it was like magical, all those things. And then uh, a few weeks later, I heard that John five would be joining <laughs> Rob Zombie, and I was like, Oh, well, <laughs> he's an amazing guitar player. I wasn't mad. If he'd have got somebody shitty, I'd have been mad, but he got somebody badass. So I was like, okay, cool. That's just how it went. So you played the entire song, all the guitar parts yep. on that. Yeah. I'm awesome. Cause I like the solo on that too. That it really is one of my favorite zombie songs. It's yeah, it was fun. I remember Scott sitting there messing with the pedals while I played the solo. Cause Scott gets all kinds of, he's like a DJ on the damn, on the damn pedals <laughs> while and there's Rob zombie, you know, boring his eyes into my head right next to me. <laughs> Okay, I better play good. Here's Zombie looking at me <laughs> the whole time. Uh, so, did you get like freedom to like cut loose on that, or like did they just tell you on what the, to do? Yeah, Scott Humphrey had recorded the scratch parts, but he's not much of a guitar player. So he goes, "Here's what I did. Play play it the way you would," and I did, and then that's what we ended up being kept. Oh, okay. So you just kind of like uh, improvise your own version of it then. A little bit, yeah. I took what he had, and then I, I I played it like as if I had written it or something. Oh, okay, cool, man. Yeah. Well, thanks for sharing that story. Yeah, no worries. Yeah, I got a I got platinum plaque from it and all that kind of stuff. So that was kind of cool. One of those plaques you hang up. Oh, damn. Yeah, with like the album artwork and like the CD yeah. kind of thing in there. Blacktop rolling. I got one other little small thing too, and it was something else. After we talked, I noticed something, so I was going to kind of keep it in my back pocket till we talked again. I had never owned this album before, and I bought it on vinyl back in the winter, but it's like Linkin Park's like Hybrid Theory. Love that album. And I was going through the liner notes, because I always kind of look at you know all the, all the fine print and the shit in there, and yeah. um, they thanked you, the Communion Underground. Yep. You ready for the story? <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> Union Underground was touring on Education and Rebellion. We had just graduated from a van to our own tour bus. And our manager said, we're going to take out a new band that Warner Brothers signed. They're going to be up with us for several weeks. And it was Lincoln Park. We met them all and we got along with Chester right out of the gate. I remember Chester coming onto our fucking tour bus and thinking we were rock stars because we had a bus. Chester played us a rough copy of Hybrid Theory, which was recorded at the same place with the same producer that we did, Education and Rebellion. And he even made mention of South Texas Death Ride. And they have some of the same samples and vibe on One Step Closer. It's the same room, same producer, same everything. And I was flattered that a band gave a fuck to kind of be influenced somehow by us. And uh, when he played us the CD, I remember I told the whole band, I said, watch, 
this shit is going to be huge. It's Backstreet Boys meets Lip Biscuit. Watch how this is going to go. And of course, I was right. I didn't realize I was going to be 17 million copies, right? They got booed some nights opening for you. People booed them. Damn. I'm not joking. Well, because they their vibe was a little bit fraternity guy. It wanted to be Limp Biscuit, but it looked like nice guys that just got out of their fraternity coming to scratch DJ. You know, and I'm not being mean. I'm just telling you the truth. I could see through that because I remember hearing the song. I would listen to the songs and I'm like, these songs are going to be huge. Our singer for Union Underground was hard to work with for everybody. And him and the manager weren't very accommodating for Linkin Park mm -hmm. uh, as far as like dressing room space and stage space. And if you watch a VH1 special on Linkin Park called The Rise or something, they they mention Union Underground and, and they they say how they were treated poorly by the band. It was actually our singer. They went on to great heights and I wasn't surprised at all. I was more surprised when Chester took his own life. That's what's really surprised me. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but that's how it goes. I can tell you um, when you're on a major label, at least back then, there were so many bands that would open for us that never went on to do anything. But I counted because I have a little bit of OCD. There was five to seven bands that opened for us that went on to do more than us. And those bands are Linkin Park, Nickelback, Saliva, Blue October, Drowning Pool, and I can't remember the other two. But the point of the story not being Union Underground wasn't the next Guns N' Roses. The point being, out of the hundreds of bands, there was some that went on further than us. Yeah. Well, that makes sense what you said about maybe like the frat boy, kind of like they just kind of got out of their fraternity because it kind of doesn't it kind of take time for a band to kind of find their image? Abs it looked like a mismatched parts on stage and it was presented a little different than how they ended up later. Um, I, I, I'm not saying I'm Rick Rubin or, or should run a record company, but I, I knew when Chester played us the, the CD, I go, this is going to be something. Watch this. Watch this. Yeah. I know songs and music. And, you know, we've all been to those shows where an unknown band plays and we go, oh, this is going to be a big band. And they do become a big band. I've done that a few times. Linkin Park, Alice in Chains, Nirvana. Uh, I've seen some bands before they were anybody. And I was like, oh, shit, this band. I bet this band's going to, uh, people are going to like this. Yeah. <laughs> and you have those bands where you can't believe that people like it. I heard System of a Down, Sugar, and I was like, that song is fucking awesome. There's no way the general public is going to go for this band. And boy, was I wrong. <laughs> <laughs> People would go for it and i i thought it was awesome and i was excited when uh when sugar went on to be a big hit and became system of a down i gotta ask you about your posts that you made with live albums so you had made a few posts, your favorite from the 70s, then the 80s, and then the 90s and the 2000s. But like, did those that you listed, did they come to you like right away? Like you just have your favorites or did you kind of put some time into it? No, I guess I was, you know, uh, I'm a music fan like anyone else. And I was just reflecting on my childhood and I was thinking, man, Live albums were such a big deal when I was a little, little kid in the late 70s and early 80s. 
they were the way that you heard a lot of songs before you you got into the studio albums like kiss alive or or cheap trick at budokan you know i'm i'm single digit digit years old when those albums came out and even judas priest unleashed in the east and then i went back and heard the studio versions and that was so weird and it's so not like that anymore that's why i i was kind of nostalgically thinking about all that that's what made me do that and had i not grown up with six older brothers and sisters i probably never would have known any of that stuff i remember you telling me about your siblings really getting you into um, music and kind of steering you oh yeah right out of the crib just right away they're banging that music in the house on vinyl <laughs> you're right though about um i was even thinking this earlier we're kind of almost showing our age with talking about albums because it feels like albums kind of aren't really a thing people just like stream singles yeah, it's, it's convenient with streaming, but I'm not a big fan of just the single songs. I've always been an album guy. If I get into a song and I think it's badass, I want to know the other songs. I can't imagine getting into one song and then being, oh, that was great. Okay, next band, please. I yeah. can't imagine that. <laughs> I'm surprised as you because uh, I'm like 40, so I'm not really, I don't know. I'm not trying to say I'm an old, old timer, but there's kids that I work with, like they just are just now getting into bands or they are, they're just like streaming their music and they just actually don't do albums. They just do the playlists or whatever of whatever's hot. It sounds a little novel to me or a little bit, not throwaway. The idea of that sounds a little bit bubble gummy, like, like gum that you chew that isn't good after it's been in your mouth for 10 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. It's too, uh, What's I don't know the right word. It, it's that's a weird thing, but at least they're enjoying music. I don't know. The discovery though is is a lot of the what is what was so cool when we were kids, and still now is to discover bands and their catalog and what they are and who they are. Oh yeah, it almost does seem too kind of like a ancient thing because I was thinking like like you don't even hear like a lot of live but stuff on the radio. And the only thing I can really think of now in like my generation is the Metallica S&M singles. But like you were saying, like uh, Kiss and Cheap Trick and Frampton, all their huge hits were like the live cuts. Yeah, yeah. That's a weird change that, that has happened over the years. I, I don't know that that's good or bad per se. Yeah. I guess we just follow the energy. Yeah. You even had uh, in your uh, choices... Or your favorite albums you had mtv unplugged like allison chains oh huge for me was that your favorite one from the 90s because you had like few other ones i think you had kiss alive uh the guns and roses and the pantera one those are so great uh, the reason the allison chains unplugged is so huge for me because i rem i was already playing guitar i was already in bands i was already i could sing but i didn't really front a band yet and I remember that whole MTV Unplugged movement. I so bad wanted to be able to play an acoustic guitar and sound good without a Marshall amp, without huge drums. I wanted to be able to sound good raw and unplugged like these guys did. Yeah. And so I, I worked at it hard. I even by the end of the 90s, I had an acoustic trio that would play covers every weekend around Texas. And uh, that was my influence. I was like, we're playing a bunch of songs off of uh, Alice in Chains Unplugged or, you know, STP Unplugged, whatever. And I would just sit there and try to sound good with an acoustic guitar. It's that's that's a uh, that's so raw. It's there's no hiding, you know. Oh, yeah. I kind of feel that way listening to stuff because uh, there's 
I guess the way to phrase this is I was trying to think of a way to phrase it. Like the kiss unplugged actually is what got me into them because I guess I had thought they were like old timer band or something, or it wasn't something that I listened to, but I happened to hear one of the songs in like a comic book store. And I was like, wow, I have to find this. And so that's kind of what I like about, especially those MTV ones is they all um, almost maybe strip away some of the production. Cause some of the stuff in the eighties always had keyboards or weird production and it kind of strips it away just to the song itself. It's true. I remember the night that Kiss aired on MTV. It was 1996, and I was partying with my friends, and uh, we turned it on. Probably, I don't know, if were we underage? We were barely old enough to drink. And I remember thinking, oh, this is going to suck. Kiss is going to come out and play a bunch of those sappy 80s, 80s ballads, and it's going to put us all to sleep. Man, we were wrong. That Kiss Unplugged, they came out and played all the rocking stuff with drums and all that shit. And I remember thinking, Holy shit, this unplugged thing is badass. <laughs> yeah. Do you have any other memories of watching those um too? Cause were they were they like a I was I was like single digit aids then when those were on, but were they like an annual thing or like semi-annual? I remember having my VCR and I would record all of them. I remember that band Live was on there and was real good. I didn't expect live to be so good. Um I remember STP being really good. I remember Poison not being great. I don't know. I would just be on MTV and they would just say, this Saturday, unplugged. And I would I would watch it and I'd record it. And I'd, I'd watch them back and be like, man, how did these, how did they get their songs to sound cool without the big guitars? Yeah. And I would sit in the acoustic version and go, oh, it's, it's different chords or it's a chord inversion or it's a different vibe, you know? Yeah. That was like a Bible kind of in the 90s, that show. I might have to turn in my rock cred for us saying this, but I love Brian Adams, his oh. MTV Unplugged. And don't don't feel guilty about that. That guy's awesome. I love his Unplugged. Hell yeah, man. Fist bump, I guess. Speaking of, I got one other thing with the MTV Unplugged kind of rabbit hole is there's one that I didn't think would be kind of cool. I'm like, how are they going to do this, you know, kind of strip it back. But the corn Unplugged from like 2005 or six. That one is badass too, and it's kind of the same thing where it lets the songs like shine. Yeah, because didn't they bring in some like extra players playing like strings and like percussion? They brought in some extra stuff, didn't they? Yeah, they kind of reworked it like almost like the Nirvana style where they had yeah, like you're saying the extra um, instrument or extra um, musicians with the masks or something. Yeah, and I remember Amy Lee got on there with them. I want to say, and you know what's funny. Was that thing, like, they never released it on DVD or Blu-ray or anything. I don't remember being able to find it. Uh, yeah, I was uh, working at a radio station at the time, and they had a promo copy. So I think it only came out on CD, not, like, video. Probably probably greedy attorneys on, on label side or something, probably. <laughs> oh, no, we need to make this much money. Oh, yeah? Well, then we're not releasing it. <laughs> <laughs> Feeling like a freak on a lake. You want to see Sometimes I cannot 
take this place. Sometimes it's my life I can't take. There was kind of one that I was surprised. Well, I guess you only listed four, so only a few could make the cut. But one for me that was almost like a holy grail from the 90s was the Metallica, um, the live shit. I, I was this close to listing that one. And then I thought, well, that's its own vibe because I got that big, I still have it today, that big box with all the VHS. I think I have the DVD version too. Um, I left that out only because it's such its own huge little entity all its own. I guess it's kind of hard because that's a few different shows where you're like, that's like, it would be its own entity because it's the video and the uh, CDs or whatever versus just a single yeah, album. exactly. Up there too, for sure. I guess this is something that I noticed. I didn't know, uh, like, well, at first you did the 70s and the 80s and the 90s. Yeah. And so I was kind of thinking to myself, are are you going to post the 2000s? Because it kind of seems like that's kind of almost that shift where you don't see as many big live albums anymore. Or they're just kind of a special thing. Like live shows are just kind of packaged in with the anniversary. Exactly wanted to challenge myself i'm like hold on why am i stopping at the 90s great music kept coming out after the 90s <laughs> yeah so your 2000s picks ozfest 2001 uh the green day bullet in a bible and i actually forgot about that so uh, kudos with that one and then you had uh the allison chains live one and then um priest a touch of evil and it's kind of funny that you mentioned uh the ozfest thing because my buddy recently opened up his record store again like I think you're familiar with Bob Long. Uh, he's got yeah, like a, excellent, excellent store, excellent guy. Yeah, he just recently reopened his store on his property, and I picked this one up, the Ozfest one, and then that was something that you were actually on. So, yeah, I'm biased. I put that one in there, and I made a joke about me being biased, but never mm-hmm. mind Union Underground. It's still a great uh, live album, with or without us. Um, how was how was that uh, tour doing that? That tour was amazing, dude. That tour was like a dream. Just imagine this. You're in your 20s. You're on a tour bus. They're playing your band on the radio. Every day you go to these fairgrounds, not fairgrounds, whatever you call it, to for OzFest. All the buses are parked in this huge parking lot. You go bus to bus with your friends from Papa Roach and from Drowning Pool or whoever. You, you got to be careful. You can't party too much because you got to play later. Um, you get on stage and people are going crazy for your band. Then you do this meet and greet with Jägermeister and people want to get their titties signed and get all their stuff signed. And then at the end of the night, you're back to that parking lot and the guys in Slipknot are inviting you over for a barbecue. And then, you know, somebody that works for Ozzy has a bottle of tequila they want you to try. It's it's pretty crazy. If you were irresponsible, you could really hurt yourself. But that was like what dreams are made of. You're thinking like, wait a minute, I'm that kid who couldn't get good grades that was always getting sent home for having the Motley Crue album. What the fuck am I doing out here? But then it kind of all starts to make sense, I guess. <laughs> yeah, man, it's like that would be like rock and roll heaven. But then like you're saying, you got it's like a lesson in being disciplined, uh, too. Yeah, because playing hungover sucks. You don't want to suck up on stage. And it's there is competition, man, because you got bands like Papa Roach playing out there, who was one of the best live bands from that era. So you can't get up there and suck. You got to get up there and make people remember your band because they're seeing a bunch of killer bands. 
Yeah, really. Because like what with all the merch, you want them to buy your stuff, not the other band stuff too, right? I guess. Don't worry, Aaron Osborne was taking 30% of that. <laughs> oh, <dang. laughs> yes, to answer to, to, to agree with you. What if I was your guy? Some sections dead run. Like I said, I might sympathize. Why must you fuck with these things? I believe in it's killed by association. When I was thinking of like the classic live albums and stuff, a few that popped up for me. I guess maybe it's because I'm younger, but the Maiden, I really like Maiden's, I guess, Rock and Rio. That's kind of when I got into them. Ooh, yeah, you know, it was hard to to not put Maiden in all the decades because that even that EP, Maiden Japan, is so killer. Maiden's one of those bands where all their live stuff's great, so I could see why I could see why that could make it into any list at any time. Like you're right, it kind of seems like they're one of those bands that every tour they put out a live album. Yeah, because they're so good live. At Power Trip, they played for two hours. It was amazing. Oh, damn. They didn't even play some of their hits. They're like, nah, we don't need to play Number of the Beast or Run to the Hills or anything off Power Slave. They played other shit. They played new shit and some old shit. It was crazy. Yeah, because I think they're doing that thing. Uh, they're doing like the Somewhere in Time and then the Sinjutsu. So they kind of really focused on those, I think. Dude, they played four songs off that Sinjitsu, however you say it, and it was not boring at all. It, it was still kick-ass. Oh, awesome. Awesome, yeah. I think for me, the um, Rock and Rio kind of uh, stands out because you got the crowd, I guess. What's that? Where they sing along to all the guitar riffs? And I had never yeah. heard that before. Yeah, that's, a cr- that's crazy. Are there any other ones that you can think of that didn't make the cut from any yeah. era? Yeah, I mean, there's a bunch that that should have been in the cut. There's a Thin Lizzy album called Live and Dangerous that should have made it into my first set. It's under Thin Lizzy is one of the great underrated bands that should have made it on there. There was a Blue Oyster Cult album that I got. I remember I went to the store. I saved up allowance or whatever from my piggy bank. I was on my bicycle and I went to the to the convenience store that was selling vinyl albums. This is the early 80s, I think. And uh, I saw an album cover that had this skeleton on a horse. It looked like an Iron Maiden album, so I bought it. It was Blue Oyster Cult, Some Enchanted Evening. And I took it home and I put it on and I didn't like it that much because it sounded more like my older brother's music, but not as hard rocking. It was too like hippie or something. <laughs> and now that I'm older, that album's kick ass. It's uh, It has Godzilla on it. And it has Don't Fear the Reaper live. And um, it's funny how when you're a little kid, you just want it to bang hard, you know, like Judas Priest and Maiden had set the bar. So other stuff sounded boring to me. So I kept it in my collection, that Blue Oyster Cult, and now I appreciate it more. Oh, yeah. I think I remember you mentioning that to me before. You're like, that sounds like old hippie music. Oh, I was chewing bubble gum and and riding my bicycle. I didn't know. (laughs) It seems crazy. You said you got that at like a convenience store? It was a convenience store by my house. Started carrying vinyl. Huh. I was so I was so like, what? It had a little bin in there, like the nice price it said on it or some shit. Oh, nice, nice. Have you ever um have you ever listened to uh, this one or come across this one? I found it at a used store. It was like the Castle Donington thing from the, the Monsters of Rock. I know what that is, but I've never seen the vinyl of it. Um, yeah, it's got a weird, like, British police officer on there. Oh, that's bag, cool. But... Bootleg, or is it le- like a legitimate one? 
It's legit, yeah. I guess Priest was on that, Monsters of Rock, but they didn't make the cut on the album for whatever he's maybe licensing. But it's got Rainbow and Scorpions and Saxon and uh, Riot. That was the one that I wanted to put in the 70s, the Scorpions Tokyo Tapes. That's one I wanted to put in there. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You did have Worldwide Live, right? Yeah, I was going to Tokyo Tapes but it, uh, on the 70s, but it was the, the my UFO beat it out just barely. Yeah. That's one band that I guess I was never too familiar with, but Eddie Trunk, um, he always he always talks up UFO. Yeah, I was I, I would have been the same way, but my oldest brother it was his favorite band. My, I guess my brother was kind of like an Eddie Trunk, and that was his favorite band. And I I didn't uh, hate him, but I loved the guitar playing when I was little. I knew all the guitar that sounded cool, and then as I got older, I started to appreciate them more. Well, speaking of too the unplugged stuff, I saw you're doing um. An unplugged show tonight, too, right? Before you go out on the cruise? Yeah, Nikki and I are doing one right here by our house, right by the beach. We love doing it. It's fun, and uh, it's just one of those things that keeps our our swords sharp singing yeah. and not just on a, on big stages with the Maidens and Lita. We, lo- we love doing the unplugged. So we can play stuff like what we're talking about. Yeah. So does it kind of take you back to when you said you were trying to play those uh, songs from the unplugged? Absolutely. Um, and Nikki, you know, like back in my day, uh, I'll tell her like, yeah, in the 90s, we played this song and I was I was scared to play it because the vocal is so uh, naked, you know, and now, of course, I'm fearless. So I, I just do whatever I want. <laughs> <laughs> I really dig your because um, you had the live from uh, the living room album session, but uh, I really dig the aces high that you guys do. Oh, thanks. That one's fun to play. That one's super fun to play. We'll, yeah. we'll probably play it tonight. That was Nikki's idea when, when the pandemic hit. We started playing acoustic songs, not as a joke, but like, imagine if this song was acoustic. And we're like, whoa, that's weird. Next thing you know, we're doing System of a Down and Avenged Sevenfold acoustic. Yeah. Um, how's it going, too, with your Heaven Blow band? Because you're, uh, you're still in the process of uh, completing the next one, right? Man, we are trying so hard to get this record done. Um, we hope to have it out uh, by, I, I say March. I don't want to jinx anything. We're right in the middle of it. We have all the songs, but uh, half of them still need live drums. And uh, I got to get Nikki Nikki's tracks on there. But uh, it's, it's close to the halfway point already. We have a title for it. It's going to be called The Majestic 12. It's 12 songs. It's not a concept album, but it's going to look like it from the way the cover and everything is. And there's no covers on it. There's no guests on it. It's 12 fully original songs. Some of them go back to Good Morning Apocalypse because Good Morning Apocalypse was going to be a double CD back when that came out years ago. And we said, oh, we got to just draw the line or this album's never going to get done. Some of these songs are from then. They didn't make it not because they weren't good enough, but because they weren't completed. So we've gone back to a few of them and been like, oh, this needs to go like this. And then, of course, we have brand, brand new ones mixed in with it, too. I guess it's good to have too many songs, right? It's a first world wonderful problem. The worst thing in the world is I got a couple ideas that that that's part of what hurt Union Underground at the end. Um, Some of the people in the band weren't weren't being 
efficient or proficient with the songs and it makes things hard if you don't have much to choose from. Where do you get ideas for uh, songs or what kind of stuff inspires you? All kinds of stuff now. Um, it used to just be that I would mess around on my guitar and I'd find a riff. But these days, now that I front the band and I sing a lot, I can do lyrics. And so I find a lot of inspiration from like movies and stuff. I'll watch a movie. And if there's a character that's inspiring, I'll be like, what would that character say if they were had a song to say it in? Um and a lot of times just hearing other bands and music, you know, hearing an old Thin Lizzy song, I'll be like, whoa, that's a cool idea. Let me change that to be like how I would do it. And then it ends up changing so much, I end up with my own song. Oh, awesome. Yeah, stuff like that. Yeah. The way technology is now with drum loops and stuff, I can hear a drum loop and I imagine a riff in my head over that drum sound. And then I'll uh, I'll start a song like that. It's a lot of that kind of stuff. Uh, do you have to quickly kind of, do you have a notebook next to you to like write stuff down? My iPhone, I, I do a few things. My iPhone have our iPhones have that notes section where I'll put lyrics, stray lyrics and song titles. And then on our iPhones, we have that, uh, that voice recorder. And my voice recorder is full of probably almost 50 song ideas at any given time. And I go through them and I'll pick things out after I've kind of thrown the rough idea on there. I guess it's awesome, yeah, having your own little uh, computer in your pocket. I do it on airplanes, dude. I'll be on an airplane and be like, I think I have a song idea that's going to kind of start like this. And I'll even sing riffs into the notes section on the iPhone. Uh, my iPhone sounds like Beavis and Butthead sometimes. Dun, 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 <laughs> Dun, 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 and then I go to my guitar later and I figure out what I was mouthing. <laughs> oh, oh, awesome. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's pretty cool. <laughs> well, thanks for uh, taking the time out to chat, man, because I know you got like a busy couple days. Yeah, we're taking off for that cruise. Uh, when we get back, I'm going to jump. We're going to jump. Me and Nikki are going to jump back into the studio, get that Heaven Below stuff finished, get more drum tracks done. Yeah. And, uh, um, just make a lot of music that feels like uh what we're it feels right like that's what we're supposed to do i guess i got one other thing too with the live album stuff do you um are you still buying i guess physically do you still buy new stuff that comes out like that mostly from my favorite bands i just ordered the brand new judas priest stuff when they did their pre-order for their new album i went in there and, and did all that when it's my favorite band i will when it's newer bands that i'm still not sure about per se not to sound negative i'll i listen on my uh spotify and apple music I, I like the spotify and apple music it's so convenient oh yeah it is a good way to like preview something before you know you're ready to commit i guess yeah for my favorite bands and stuff i'm really into i will buy the physical i still do i even saw this too just before we got on here black sabbath like remastered or reissued uh the reunion uh thing i guess it was 25 years yeah, yeah. I remember that thing having come out around that time of that Ausfest we did. That's pretty cool. And I still do vinyl on on stuff, too. I love, you know, I got the Alice in Chains dirt vinyl box set and crazy shit like that. I love all that shit. Yeah, it's getting kind of expensive now. I'm, I think I'm going to have to cut back a little bit or whatever. Picky on your decisions. Well, I was at the start of the year. I was trying to limit myself and I'm like, I'm only going to make... Uh, one purchase a month at a record store or something, but I'm not going to limit myself to like one album or whatever. But then 
it only took me like a month or two and I was like already. Um, yeah. Well, the uh, that motivates is have you noticed when you buy like these little vinyl box sets, whether it's from whatever favorite classic band, they'll only print so many, you know, like sometimes as low as five or 300. And what happens is right after you buy it, um, and it comes out, you'll go to eBay and, and other sites and you'll see them on there for two and three times what you paid. Yeah, exactly. So I'm like, if I don't buy this right now, I have to spend two and three times the amount later when I go buy it. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Or even the Aussie thing. Like you just, you just reminded me of this. He put out a box set of all of his albums in like 2018 or 2019, this yeah. big bucks or something though yeah it was like five it seemed like a good deal because i actually did the math and each album would have been like 25 bucks or something okay that 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 helps yeah and i thought about going and buying it but i i couldn't fork over that much at the time and then i went back when we got one of those stimulus checks or something i was like hey maybe i can um, use a stimulus check to get this but then like you said it had our the supply had already ran out and people were jacking it up to like three times the cost that's what happened with that i have that 42 cd judas priest set that huge 50th anniversary one of course i got it right when it came out it's 42 cds it's crazy books it's awesome it's this huge gigantic thing and i think i paid like 400 bucks for it or something like something along those lines those things are 1500 and up now if you find them on ebay holy crap see that's how that works it looked cool though because didn't uh, something with that set didn't it look like they almost had little comic book uh covers or something or artwork of each band member yeah it had a lot of stuff Mm -hmm. in it you want to Want to hear my crazy story about that set? So the year I got into Judas Priest was 1978 because my older sister had Hellbent for Leather. And that was the first priest I ever heard. Fell in love with it as a kid, of course. When I got my 42 CD box set, when it came out, it comes with a metal razor blade, okay? Just like uh, British Steel. And it's kind of pretty big. And it, they're all stamped and numbered, like with the engraved. You know what the number was on mine that I got? 1,978. Oh, shit. I was like, whoa, this is the Matrix or some shit. <laughs> the number of the of the blade is the, the year I got it to choose race. <laughs> Damn, man. There's like a, a light or something must have shown down on you weird it's weird yeah. i was like oh this is meant i was meant to have this one <laughs> <laughs> all right dude well i totally appreciate you uh doing this because it seems like each time i talk to you i just kind of scour your instagram and then i'm like hey like let's talk hey i'm gonna have to do a, i'm gonna have to do one now you already gave me an idea i need to do a best bootlegs post best live bootlegs oh awesome <laughs> I'm going to do that one. That one's going to be cool because it's for people like you and me. We're going to be like, whoa, okay. Yeah, that's a cool bootleg right there. Well, now bands seem to just release them like their own authorized bootlegs or something like Metallica and Pearl Jam. Yeah, Cheap Trick also. There's some Cheap Trick live albums that that were bootleg and later the band like released them because they find out there's a demand for them. Thousands of people bought this bootleg. Whoa, shit. Let's package it properly. Let's go remaster it properly and we'll release it. I get it. 
I look forward to more of your Instagram posts and uh, even the Next Heaven Below album, too. Kick-ass, brother. I'll be out at sea for a week, and then I'll be back at it. Um, all right, man. Maybe we should... Uh, I know it's a little early, but would you want to do like a priest episode around the time where the new one comes out? That's exactly what we got to do. Hell yeah. All right, man. Thank you. All right. You be safe, bro. We're take a cruise through the desert together. This is Desert Plains! Oh,